Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast, and in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Yoga. It's meant to be a practice, it's meant to be a thing that keeps us healthy. So what is it with all the yoga injuries that are going on? And why is it that folks will only go to the class that's on as opposed to the class that suits them? So many questions for Sylvia today. Sylvia is one of our popular teachers. She's been with us now for six years, I think. And she is well known for her acro yoga. She is half of London acro ladies. She spends most of the time that I've ever met her upside down. Um, whenever I see her, she will. Um, she just seems to be upside down a lot more than the other way around. So what I'm looking forward to today is a conversation with her about how her recent pregnancy and brand new little one has changed her and how Instagram yoga affects the rest of our yoga and how and why is it that there are so many yoga injuries these days and how can we avoid them? Okay, this one is a goodie, I feel. Do continue listening. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so great to have you on here. You're one, you're one of the teachers who've been with Movement for Modern Life pretty much since the start. You've yeah. been teaching with us, what, six years now? Yeah, um, something like that. So loads of stuff has happened. Um, now, Sylvia, you're really known for your acro yoga. That's your like number one thing. You're yeah. also half of London Acro Ladies, yeah. and your other half in real life. You also sometimes do partner yoga with him, and I know that because I have seen it on Instagram. So it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> of course. More, more on that later. <laughs> but. A bigger part of your life right now is, well, you're 10 weeks into your brand new life with Isla, your little yeah. baby. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> brand new mum. Yeah. And um, yes. So talk, talk me through it. Like how, how does one of the most fit upside down type <laughs> yogis who I know of how how do you how do you get to that stage where you cope with uh, not an easy pregnancy yeah. and uh, not an easy first few weeks of birth of a little one? How does that work out? Well, I always thought that when I had a pregnancy that I'd be one of these kind of people upside down doing yoga all the time. I've had these people in my classes. I've seen mm -hmm. people who've practiced really strongly through their whole pregnancies and who've mm -hmm. been like just totally unfazed by the process. Mm -hmm. uh, and I honestly thought that would be me. I was mm -hmm. just like, well, how, how could this be any different? Because right. I've been practicing for nearly 20 oh. years. Um, you know, being pregnant is not going to change that. Um, but it wasn't really quite how it worked <laughs> out. So mm. the my pregnancy was kind of high risk from day one. Mm. Um, and 
firstly, I was too tired to practice. I was mm-hmm. genuinely too tired to even do yin and mm-hmm. um, just needed to sleep so much. Um, and I then got kind of told to limit my movement. It had to kind of start to slow down. Um, and then as the pregnancy became more and more complicated, I was, it got to the point where I was told that I wasn't allowed to walk for more than 10 minutes or to stand for longer than 10 minutes. And that, you know, I was told we're not prescribing bed rest, but we're borderline there. So I went from practicing between like two and eight hours a day to oh being what stop you practicing <laughs> between two and eight hours every single day yeah pretty much um and, but... and have you done that for 20 years Sylvia no I know I started off as most people do like kind of once a week once every couple of okay. weeks kind of dipping your toe in okay. um and then really the kind of the practicing to that extent just grew from really enjoying it and yeah. not a kind of sense of I must do yoga I must do handstands I must do acro it was just I want to do that and also I, I want to jump in with that and say that some of those hours were restorative and it was yeah, okay. and it wasn't all you know go 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 you went upside um, down for eight hours a day <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, just like seven and a half. <laughs> um, so, okay, yeah. so you went from a really full on all the time yoga practice to pretty much bed rest. Yeah. And wow. um, and what surprised me really more than anything was that I didn't mind. I really didn't mind at all. And right. it was a combination of being so tired mm-hmm. and also just having this as my absolute priority my baby and getting through this pregnancy and not doing anything at all to kind of get in the way of that or jeopardize it and you know dealing with feeling incredibly worried about it every day so you do what you you're told and and that's it and I had almost daily so many messages from people when I, I was teaching for the first part of my pregnancy and then I stopped that too um but so many people being like, wow, you must be really struggling, not moving, not doing yoga. And yeah. um, I really didn't feel like I did. I, I I just felt like this is what I need to do right now. My yoga is not handstands and, and mm-hmm. backbending. My yoga is resting and growing a baby. And And actually, you know, I'm now 10 weeks into having had my baby and mm-hmm. still not really moving yet. I've mm-hmm. I've dabbled a tiny bit. I've done in ten weeks. I'd say about four hours of exercise, yeah. and I just don't really feel ready to to move again yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's a stark contrast. But I feel like there's no rush to get back into it. It's taken me twenty years to get to where I am, and you know, the next twenty years, maybe I'll be upside down again more. Maybe not. I don't really know. I'm just kind of going with it every day and see how see how it feels really yeah so that's a pretty incredible journey into um a sudden change and <laughs> anyone and, and having a baby isn't uh, it isn't an injury it's not no. like an accident it's not like one of these <laughs> things but it's kind of what your body is going through yeah will be quite similar to what say I experienced when I went through a car crash I went through doing right. a lot of yoga 
to suddenly not doing any. Right. And it wasn't because, you know, and, and like you, I didn't feel like, oh, my God, I have to do yoga. Well, no, that wasn't an option. Like, mm. <laughs> I was deeply, like, hurt. I just had to basically lie down and sleep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a recovery theme. And I suppose how yoga, how those years of practice enable us to deal with the new challenges that our body is giving us. Yeah. And I think it's it's quite surprising as a teacher to see how few people embody that and you know we always tell people don't push yourself if anything mm-hmm. hurts and back off and all the kind of things that you say in various ways of saying it but I I've had just so many people like a, a man in my one of my classes in an Ashtanga class who was fresh out of a knee operation who mm-hmm. just kept trying to force himself into lotus and every week I would go up to him and I would say look I'd really don't think you need to be doing this pose. I, this is what you can do. And every week he would just say, no, I want, I want to do it. I want to do it. And you could wow. see him in so much pain. And wow. um, it's it's really hard for people to rest. It's really hard for people to to do less. And I've noticed that more and more. Um, yeah. and, I, and I know it's true as well of uh, teachers, friends of mine who have gone through serious injuries and who are also a finding it difficult to kind of stop and slow down and practice what they preach to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think, <laughs> I think social media has a lot to, to account for, for that because mm-hmm. yoga, when I started doing it, it wasn't really about the fancy stuff. Like I remember I did crow pose, mm-hmm. I did headstand, but no one really cared. There was yeah. nothing really, there was no way to document your progress in an inversion. There was no way for people to be impressed by what they've seen. There's no way and to count a, the amount of likes. Yeah, right. And it was it was much more um, in your tracksuit bottoms anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, was, like, yeah. Like, lemon wasn't here. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, <laughs> and people generally wore their pajamas or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yoga yeah. It wasn't very glamorous. It really wasn't. And it also um, wasn't cool. Like it, when right. I started doing yoga, the the main response I got from people was like, "Oh my god, you're so weird, or you're such a hippie, or <laughs> why are you doing that?" It was, it's not quite what it is now. Yeah. Um, and I think now that you know we have this kind of documentation of the best parts of our life on mm-hmm. social media, um, I do see a massive difference in how people are practicing. I see a difference in what I'm asked to teach. So I teach. Predominantly in London, I teach abroad a lot. I get invited to various studios. Mm-hmm. And 99% of what people want to learn from me is handstands. And I have a whole list of workshops full of content. And I, I always send the list to the studios and be like, cool, I, I'm, I love handstands. I will gladly teach handstands all day, every day. I love it. And I think I can do it well. But I can also do other things. And <laughs> I also enjoy other things. And when I put these other things to the studios, nine times out of ten, they won't take it they're like nope don't worry it's just the handstands um because uh-huh. they want what sells and yeah. um you know a lot of the other stuff that people don't want is what really interests me in uh-huh. like breaking down sun salutations in getting the movements correct and precise because it's got such an impact on the rest of our practice and whatever style of yoga we work on um just to kind of go back to the basics of the biomechanics of the movement of the alignment of the breath mm-hmm. Um, and more and more people just don't want that kind of stuff from me yeah. anyway I, I know other teachers do get to share that kind of part of their practice but um, 
but they're not they're not they're never as popular as the handstands and so I'm exactly I fell into that when you came on board I think was it the first or certainly one of the first things that you did was the 30-day handstand yeah. challenge yeah Everyone, yeah. everyone said we want a handstand challenge, so yeah. there we go. Come on, Sylvia, and one day roll out thirty videos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a, a a crazy day. Yeah, <laughs> it was a crazy day. It's like wow, she's still upside down in the shed stroke studio. <laughs> but you know, yeah. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that I don't think there's anything wrong with people wanting to learn handstands or for people wanting to kind of push themselves but where I think it becomes difficult is where people are just comparing themselves to other people and where people are pushing their bodies beyond injuries and sort of just going to practice anyway and not Mm. taking modifications not taking just time to let your body rest Mm. and stop um and you know, I've I've been guilty of, and I know loads of people who just look at something on Instagram and just try the pose. Yeah, and, and you know, I, that is dangerous. Do not do it. <laughs> yeah, well, also for a start, things sometimes are just not as easy as they look. <laughs> so you start, and then you're like, okay, that's not going to happen today. But also, <laughs> like when when I've done it, it's generally like if I'm on holiday, there's like a pretty place, and I'm like, oh this will look really good on Instagram if I just do this complicated shape I've seen another human do. And there's no warming up. <laughs> there's nothing other than quick, get the camera, take that one second of photo and then, you know, wait for the engagement and the likes to come in. But it's mm-hmm. not really, it's not something I do anymore. Well, I'm not really moving that much anymore, but it's it's something that I've kind of moved away from a lot. I feel like um, it's important not to post and demonstrate a pose that you're not warmed up for that you're doing or not able to hold for less than you know 10 seconds uncomfortably and then Mm. showing it as something that oh look what I did in this beautiful place Mm. um because I know people who are getting hurt from copying this and and yeah Instagram injury is a thing and it's a shame because what, what should happen is people should be like okay I didn't warm up this is you know, something I've done for entertainment or engagement or whatever. Um, But yeah, I think people should take a little bit more responsibility over what they're kind of encouraging people. Um, And something actually, something that I've kind of started to doubt in in how I'm going to continue with my social media is uh, the tutorials, which is something that I've done. um, You know, you film some stuff, uh, mm-hmm. it's always always sped up the video part I do accompany it with a huge amount of text that's very um, detailed how to do a handstand how to do a headstand how to bail out of these things lots of stuff that people have asked me to do and and they're popular and I do them because people ask for them and people really seem to enjoy it but now I'm I'm kind of wondering like it I do think the best way to learn these things is with a teacher in a studio with a, a real human who can be there to spot you and correct you and help you rather than, you know, how, how much can you really watch an Instagram video and read the text and be upside down <laughs> learning all the stuff that you've been doing at the same time. Um, so I'm not saying I'm not ever going to do tutorials again, but it has really made me think about what am I putting out there? What am I trying to get people to do when they're looking at my feed? 
Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you are very popular on Instagram. You've got a big <laughs> social media presence. So, you know, what you have done has succeeded in achieving the aim of being well-known on social media. Yeah. And to be honest, that does the trick because, you know, when I post a video of me shutting my eyes and having a sort of little rest, <laughs> it doesn't go down so well. Tutorial of how to do this. Yeah. Number one, find a relaxing, warm place. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't go down so well. So yeah. I can completely understand that in terms of, you know, a yoga teacher is an entrepreneur. It's somebody who, you know, you're a freelance, you are getting work from your name, from your profile. Yeah. So to an extent, I can absolutely see why it would, and, and it is what you teach. It's not as if it's not being authentic to you. You sure. genuinely are the kind of person who pop into a handstand mid-conversation. It's you. It's not you being an unauthentic, you know, it wouldn't be like me posting handstands. Like, I don't do handstands all the time. If I started to post them, it would be not authentic. Right. So this is you. So It is, yeah. <laughs> so to an extent, <laughs> you know, it's it's not being inauthentic and it's, uh, it's not being... Uh, unreal and it is helping you as a freelancer somebody who's self-employed whatever to be known by other people so yeah. that's the reason why it's okay you know devil's advocate it's okay to be doing this right and you know it, instagram has really helped me be able mm -hmm. to teach internationally because without that i don't think it would have happened so fast yeah. at all um people see the feed from different countries mm -hmm. and they're like oh I have a studio in Rome would you come over here and um you know yeah. it's it is something that I do consider an extension of my work I don't really post personal stuff on it it's just about where I'm teaching what I'm teaching and um and it is really great for that it's good to be able mm -hmm. to meet people um that are all over the world and kind of get to know students that you would just not come across if you were just based in one place yeah and for people to get an idea of who you are because it is your voice it is you who writes the post it's real yeah. you who does the shapes so yeah <laughs> in a way it's a you know if you're a student looking for a teacher you can mm -hmm. also see why you would go on Instagram to see is that the tone of voice is that the kind of person yeah who I would want to teach me so I understand it. Yeah. I understand why it's um, it's a useful platform for students and teachers. On the other hand, as Movement for One Life, it's something which I I personally don't do pictures like that because, as I say, it's not my practice to do that. <laughs> and also, as Movement for Modern Life, I'm very, very aware that the downside of, I mean, yeah, to be honest, one really simple way of getting loads of engagement and likes is to post super hot Sylvia on a beach in a bikini doing something ridiculously complicated. <laughs> Everybody's got, like big wows. And it's a great way for us as well to get likes and to get engagement and people to know what we are. But then for us, it's not, yeah, that's part of what we do, but it's only part. And that's the thing, I suppose, yeah. that you're because it is part of what you do, but it's 
only a part of it. And then it, does it give people a completely wrong impression? Well, it's difficult, really, because, you know, I I have been, you know, on holidays and posted photos of stuff that mm -hmm. I do on a beach in a bikini um, mm -hmm. because that's what I'm doing there and then. Yeah. And, you know, would I do it at home? No, I'm not one of these people who's suddenly, you know, posting myself doing yoga in my underwear in my bedroom because I just didn't have time to put on my leggings before I pressed record on my camera. <laughs> um, and that's fine. <laughs> Very well, Sylvia. Just <laughs> but you know, if if no that's how you get engagement, yoga. then that's <laughs> it, it is going to be popular. But um, you know, um, I the other thing with the kind of content that you post is that you don't also want to give away everything for free and it's something especially like with a platform like movement for modern life mm -hmm. I am quite aware of like well if I do a tutorial mm -hmm. you know I've got all these videos online that I want people to watch and I'd like people mm -hmm. to go and see the platform and see other videos I have and also all the other teachers that I know and I have a lot mm -hmm. of really good friends who are on movement for modern life too um and I don't, it does take a lot of time to make content for Instagram. And so mm -hmm. there's part of me that's now like, I don't want to just give away all of this for free and my time, my energy. And, um, you know, it, it it's trying to find a, a new balance. I'm, it's a work in progress for me, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, I guess going back to it, the main problem, like why isn't it cool 100% mm. is because... A, it's causing injuries, as you say, that yeah. kind of Instagram injury thing. Yeah. That is rubbish. I mean, just to kind of, here, I'm going to grab my knee and yank it here, yeah. and there goes my hip, and boom. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is it does lead to people to compare themselves. Absolutely. To somebody else. And Absolutely. Like, I should never be compared to you. <laughs> I just, it's never going to happen. And that's cool with different people. <laughs> I think, you know, with, with any facet of Instagram, that's a problem. But when it comes to bringing it back to yoga, mm. the whole, you know, the whole concept behind yoga is that we're not competing. We're not comparing ourselves. We're trying to find our own authentic self, not, you know, compare it to the authentic self of 100 other people on Instagram. And it I kind of... Who's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also judging them by how many likes they've got because... Um, I know a lot of incredible teachers who don't have big followings on social media, mm -hmm. don't use that much, and it's absolutely not a reflection whatsoever on how good somebody is a teacher. Uh, and on the mm -hmm. other hand, I also know lots of people who've got you know huge followings who are not experienced teachers who are putting out a lot of content, saying things that are potentially dangerous and things that are not true. And and people mm -hmm. like that when they post their tutorials and I see kind of alignment cues, and I'm like, okay, that's not particularly safe and you know however many hundreds of thousands of people have watched it and will no doubt try it for themselves so um no, it it's, is, it's dangerous it's dangerous yeah for that reason and um and nowadays i think one of the other worries is that many studios ask when they're sort of asking a teacher um you know whether they you know to do the audition or cv process for applications mm. they will ask them about their online presence i mean i've i've heard about this i've it's not happened to me um uh, 
but I just think that's crazy and I think that's such a shame that we could that that even comes into the hiring process of a teacher what makes a good online presence is just not reflective at all of your skills as a teacher can you have both can you be a good teacher and have a big online presence absolutely but it really shouldn't be it should be consequential when they're trying to hire you um yeah and I I think by default what they're asking you then is to just market their studio it's like okay you might be less experienced but you know bring us in the people and are you are they paying these teachers more because they have a bigger reach are they kind of you know rewarding that in any way I don't I don't imagine that is the case but um Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a real shame especially in this world where people do buy followers and they um Mm -hmm. buy likes and all this kind of stuff too so actually you know it it can be quite obvious on some accounts like whether it's a genuine authentic account or not but on others not necessarily and you know it's I feel like Instagram it's like playing a game and there are really great benefits to it if you have Mm -hmm. the time and the energy to put into it and you can really get a lot of good from it um but like anything else it's it's not the be all and end all and there's certainly um it's a fine line with yoga to kind of be using the platform to promote yourself and to kind of spread what you're doing from an authentic place and just showing off and putting out content where people are potentially going to hurt themselves by trying to copy it right right and I I, yeah I think that's absolutely spot on and that's the line to be careful of and wary of and um yeah I've also heard I've been approached by lots of teachers um, and one of the first things they will say is, check out this, you know, this is my, this is how many followers I have. This is this. Right. And I think it's a bit sad that people think that that's the criteria. Yeah. Um, because obviously uh, it would be the criteria if you were just looking, as you say, to have somebody market you. Yeah. Um, but presumably I'm wanting somebody who has got really good yoga teaching skills. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That should be like first and foremost that you're looking for um, when you want to teach anything, whether it's yoga or any other thing, you you know, it's, I I wonder how long this is going to be so important for and if Instagram will have its day like MySpace did and, you know, where at one point in time it was the the be all and end all everyone is on it I was never on it I'm too old for that but you know I heard about MySpace (laughs) and you know and then Facebook happened so MySpace didn't happen anymore and I'm wondering if Instagram will continue as it is or if it will start to kind of not be the significant platform that it has been I'm sure there will be something else there always is isn't there Um, and yeah we'll have to find out if that is more beneficial <laughs> to yeah. the practice than, than Instagram has been. One of the things which is dangerous in Instagram is that it forces a comparison and a judgment which isn't yoga, and also forcing of a position which might or might not be good for somebody's bodies. So let's have a talk about that. And because it's not only Instagram, that happens in class as well. There's also, um, you know, a kind of way which I certainly spent a lot of my youth sort of trying to 
constantly open my hips, open everything so that I was able to be more and more mobile. And that was just how I spent my youth, to be honest. The one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of the poses that people post on Instagram are not poses you're going to do in your class. They're not kind of part of a lead flow. It's an exaggerated artsy version with a mudra here and a, a toe point there and kind of putting yourself into a shape where it's not it's not a yoga asana in terms of this is going to be how you practice it. Is it going to be done on the second side for the same amount of time? Probably not. Mm. Um, mm. And um yeah it's it's almost kind of taking away the 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 yoga asana completely and just making it into like a, a an artistic shape which is fine there's nothing wrong with it but in the context mm-hmm. of yoga it's not really it, it, these shapes that we're doing with our bodies are you know designed to help us connect to who we are mm-hmm. and actually i think these kind of exaggerated versions of shapes are doing the complete opposite. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably the problem, and that's really why we've got to deeply look at why people are doing that, and is it is that the right thing? And I think again now to go back to sort of circling back to where we started with your new body journey. <laughs> you know, your new body that doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it needs to be moving in the same way that it did and that's you moving into being more you now right now yeah well the thing is um you know I'm midway through a Pilates teacher training and um so I I had I did have a module a couple of weeks ago and I I actually found out that I was pregnant the first day of my Pilates training so it's meant that I've learned this started seven months ago now so it meant it's meant that I've learned basically the whole thing without physically being able to do any of the movements um which is hard yeah but I I was still surprised at how few of the movements I could do or that felt okay and you know there was some of the movements where I was like, I'm just not going to try this I know it's not good mm-hmm. others where I was like I'll give it a go and somewhere I was like okay this feels okay but I feel just like there's no strength or there's no coordination. Um, I've never felt this inflexible in my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. down dog is a struggle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think in some ways it's going to be really interesting to see how it impacts me as a teacher, mm-hmm. get, get, being able to kind of re-empathize with how it feels as a beginner. Because for me, Obviously, that was so long ago. I remember what I think it felt like. But now, <laughs> when my yeah. heels are nowhere near the ground in down dog and I can't open the shoulders and within about five seconds, I'm like shaking and wanting to, you know, swear. <laughs> um, now I'm kind of finding myself back in a a situation where like down dog is <laughs> hard and my mm. feet are nowhere near the ground. I can't open the shoulders. Within about 10 seconds, I'm like shaking and wanting to swear and come out of it. And um, mm. I feel like as as much as I think I can remember how it felt, now I'm feeling what it's like for someone who doesn't enjoy down dog, where it's not a comfortable resting pose. Mm. <laughs> and um, I'm really interested actually to see, to teach from this new kind of understanding of 
every stretch doesn't necessarily feel good. Right. And I think that will be a big a big change to you. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and and yeah, good good for empathy skills, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely found that because I was always really flexible. Mm. Um, after my accident, when I so I couldn't move for probably about six months, and then after that, oh. I was sort of gradually regaining movement. And whereas before, I just sort of get a bit annoyed with people because I did teach for a bit. I was a terrible teacher, mm. probably. For the <laughs> Just, just take me to the ground. Just take them to the ground, I said. You know, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and I have no empathy for people who weren't able, you know, basically who weren't right. young, mobile. Mm. And then there's nothing like sort of going through that immobility yourself to be like, oh, I see. Okay, that's how it yeah. is to be a normal person who can't move very much. And also the sort of realization that everybody's body has possibly been through injuries and trauma and you know we're not all meant to be doing all the poses like some poses aren't good for some of us right I couldn't agree more and the the kind of thing that I keep wanting to ask and thing that I kind of bring up in my classes as a theme when it comes to mobility is why why Mm. do you want to be more flexible here and I think in yoga we've always kind of strived and romanticized the idea of mobility way more than stability and now it's starting to kind of turn on its head mm-hmm. but you know beyond a healthy range of movement in the spine in the hips and shoulders in any part of the body why do we need to go to an extreme range mm. it is because you know if someone else can do it why shouldn't I or you know it's it's something that I I'm really curious and I would like to know, I'd like to ask more people who are like, I really want to get more bendy here or I really want to get my splits or I really want to get, um, you know, a full back bend. And I, I know a lot of yogis now who've started practicing contortion and, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like I, I've done a lot of circus and, you know, I've a lot of respect for contortion. I actually think it's practiced a lot more intelligently than a lot of yoga. Um right. But, you know, for, for a yogi to then go and do contortion with the idea just to increase mobility, mm. I don't really mm. understand what, why. Why do we want to be more flexible? What, what's mm. the purpose of this all? And the answer is normally because it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it's cool to, to be able to just sort of go into the splits. So, you know, that, that's, that, that's a good party trick. But... The thing is, as we get a little bit older and our bodies, you know, we want to do something a bit more sustainable, we realise that those things which look cool sometimes aren't very good for us. Yeah. Well, this is it. It's about the longevity of the practice, really. And, um, you know, something that I've always kind of jokingly said in my classes when I teach Ashtanga is, you know, it's it's more important to be able to walk out of the room than to say you did a full lotus for five breaths. And mm. um, I, I really mean that because I, I've seen so many people, particularly in Ashtanga, where lotus is, it's, you know, there are gateway poses in the Ashtanga method. You're going to have to have your full lotus at some point if you want to progress, if you were going to learn the sequence traditionally as you would in Mysore. And, and I see people just forcing themselves into it. 
and mm. not everybody is designed to do lotus some femurs and hip sockets they just are not designed for it and we can work with soft tissue but we can't change the the skeletal system we're not going to suddenly make the bones and change and that's the crazy thing it's like to even think about you know all oh, the lotus is a thing that we need to do it really it, like you say why yeah it's, why that focus? it's quite alarming when you know i've been to bigger strangle workshops with like hundreds mm -hmm. of people there seeing the amount of people that are kind of walking limping or like rubbing their backs and stuff when they're walking out of the room and I've not seen that with any other style of yoga I'm not saying that it doesn't happen or that it's kind of only Ashtanga practitioners that do that but it's something that I've noticed a lot and um you know I think also there's something to be said for practicing for a long time when your body gets warm and suddenly you're able to do poses that you wouldn't have been able to do at the beginning and you know the your body restricts you because it's trying to protect you. <laughs> it's not something that you want to push past. And if your body is saying, I don't want to do Lotus yet, yeah, two hours into a very sweaty workshop, suddenly your your skin's a bit more slippery so you can get your ankle a little bit higher up and you're a little bit warmer and suddenly you're in. Yes, okay, for some of us that might be what we needed to kind of mm -hmm. release the body to get into that shape. But more often than not, it's actually just we're forcing into something that, the body still isn't ready for and um it's quite difficult really to find that line again between where where do I draw the line where is practicing a pose not for me and where is it just an effort that I'm not making so mm -hmm. you know it's quite easy and like for me if I could get out of practicing shoulder stand in a class, I would absolutely, if I'm given any other option, I will take it because I don't like shoulder stand. It doesn't feel good in my body. Um, I don't like shoulder stand. What, what, what some is people it love it. Stand that you don't like? I think the shape of my spine makes it feel difficult. So mm -hmm. I've got um, quite a kyphotic kind of upper thoracic cervical spine. What does that um, mean? And so it means that it's just basically like a little, <laughs> I want to say hunchback, but that's going to give the wrong idea because it's really, it's a huge exaggeration. But the upper part of my spine is kind of rounded and, mm -hmm. and doesn't really move. So being upside down, putting mm -hmm. kind of weight and pressure on it, uh, doesn't feel good. And mm -hmm. I, you know, when people can do these lovely straight shoulder stands and their legs are directly above yeah. their hips, I always have to have the legs piked, which means the feet are over the head slightly because um, mm -hmm. the shape of my spine just won't allow it to stack. Yeah. And I can, if I put enough blankets and things and, you know, we start to go a little bit down the Iyengar route, get mm -hmm. into a shoulder stand that feels manageable. Mm -hmm. But for me, I, you know, and I've done this, I did Ashtanga for years and there's no option to not do the pose. <laughs> you do the pose, and that's basically what you do. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, after 15 years, say, mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? This pose isn't getting easier. Mm. And for me, it's one of the ones that I think I'm just going to take out of my, um, my yoga vocabulary because I'm not getting any benefits from this pose that I couldn't get from other shapes that would be more sustainable for me. Mm. Um, I think I've definitely put in the time to, to see whether okay. this will improve and change and it hasn't. Um, and 
yeah, it's it's difficult. And then, you know, I say this and Revolve Triangle was a pose that took me about 10 years to stop mm-hmm. hating that pose and for it to suddenly feel like it made sense. Not just, you know, mentally, but physically in my body. I was like, okay, I, I get what I'm doing here. I get the rotation. I get where I'm meant to be stable. I get where I'm breathing into. I I can feel what this pose is about. Whereas for yeah. 10 years, I was like, what am I doing? This is horrible. Everything hurts. It doesn't feel good. It's not right. Um, mm. So, you know, it can be a long process of, of deduction and um, yeah. figuring out what, what works for your body, what doesn't work for your body. And, and also knowing that that might change. So, you know, you might be practicing some poses for, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, and then suddenly your body's like, you know what, I don't need this one anymore. I'm going to let this one go and just work mm. on other shapes instead. Um, I think that's been... Yeah. I, yeah, a couple of interesting things have um, come to me from that conversation. One is it completely turns on its head, that whole... Because I was, uh, I've never been sort of a very strict Ashtangi, but when I started, I did Ashtanga yoga because it was kind of the type of yoga that there was. And you do Ayanga if you're old and you do Ashtanga if you're young, right? <laughs> and um, what they used to say is practice and all is coming. And yeah. actually what you have said is so true it's like actually no some poses for some bodies it really won't come and that's fine and why should it and why should we be sort of have to be so rigid that this is the pose just because teacher says according to the way that the teacher's been taught that this Mm. pose is the next in the series why should it be my pose but actually having the braveness and intelligence in your own body to say no, you know what, this shoulder stand thing, it's not going to happen. That takes yeah. a lot of braveness. If you're in an Ashtanga class and you're like, mm, no, I don't want to do this pose because it doesn't feel good. Um, no? I, I actually had an interesting um, kind of experience in a, a studio that I teach in. And mm-hmm. I went to do the other teacher's Ashtanga class because mm-hmm. uh, we often cover for each other and I, you know, the sequence is what it is, but it is always interesting to me to see how it's taught because it can go from being the most tedious, boring, dull thing ever in the world to being really quite energizing and inspiring. And, and the only difference is who is saying the words, who is giving the information. Mm-hmm. And I remember this this teacher, I had a, an injury, a hamstring injury at the time. And in um, Utita Hasta, where you're kind of standing and your legs extended, mm-hmm. Ideally, the leg is straight, and I just had it with a bent knee. Mm-hmm. It's straight, and you're holding the big toe. So yeah. I did not hold the toe. I had the knee bent. And this teacher comes up to me. He's standing in my face, like, straight in your leg. And I yeah. said, no. And he's like, straight in your leg. And I said, no, I have an injury. And he's like, it doesn't matter, straight in your leg. And I said, right. no. And then he walked away and left me alone because he's a teacher. There's other people in the room. He's, you know, <laughs> this standoff can't continue. But I was really surprised. I was like, hang on a second. Firstly, I'm also a teacher. I know the series. I know the four postures. I know what we're supposed to be doing. And, and I know my body. And so if I'm saying no, it's not out of laziness. It's not out of like yeah. trying to rewrite the Ashtanga method. It's because <laughs> I know that this is not a shape that's going to do well for me today. And yeah, you're not being willfully defiant. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Ashtanga rebel. Um, and it's, it's, 
yeah, I, I'm really surprised at how kind of rigid some people are. And, and another experience I had, I did a, a class um, with um, a good friend of mine who's a physiotherapist, very experienced physio. And, um, we did a, a Dharma class and she had just had a labral reconstruction in her shoulder. Mm-hmm. So bearing in mind that this person knows more about the human body than pretty much anyone else in that room, especially including the teacher. Um, it came to the Dharma stage of the class where, and in hindsight, we shouldn't have done a Dharma class at all. <laughs> but it's it's not like a Buddhist Dharma teachings, Dharma teaching. It's actually no. Dharma Mitra yoga, which is it's it's quite full on, isn't it? It's quite it's physical. very full on. It really is. Yeah. Um, we do we do have that uh, we do have that on movement for modern life. If people want to take a probably sit back with a cup of tea and have a little look at it. <laughs> Just watch the Dharma show. Um, but yeah, it, it is reputed for being hard, and um, and it is. Mm-hmm. I I can agree. I've done a lot of Dharma over the years. Um, so anyway, she we get to the point in the practice where it's forearm stand time. Right. And she goes into child's pose. Mm-hmm. And the teacher comes along and he said, do your forearm stand. Firstly, <laughs> there's an assumption there that she's able to do a forearm stand. It's not a, a, a yoga pose that is accessible to everyone. Um, no. Like quite a long way. But also, she's, again, resting out of knowing her body. She's just recovering from surgery. And so she said no. And, mm-hmm. and he asked her to leave the class. And it was a case of oh. you do the forearm stand or you leave the class. Oh, and wow. I was so horrified. And, and she did. And I was just like, well, what awful. does this mean? In, in terms of a yoga practice, isn't it way more yogic to be resting when you know you're going to hurt your body than it is yeah. to just do the tricks that the rest of the, the room are being asked to do? And, and why are we doing this pose if it's not good for us? Like, I, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was quite shocking, actually. Um, really shocking. But, th- yeah, I've, I've um, also heard of classes where similar things have happened and also um, where teachers have kind of I've, – I've had the experience of a teacher come round and shame me for doing a pose, as he called it, incorrectly, you know, <laughs> to the rest of the class sort of mocking and really very physical adjustments as to why I should be doing it differently. And it's like, well, hold on, I've, I've had a back injury and I right. don't perform things in, in this way. I like to sort of modify and take it easy. And, you know, it's like, oh, you're so lazy and really shaming. Right. And, um, you know, if I hadn't sort of known my body and known yoga, I mean, imagine if that was your first experience of a yoga practice. Yeah, <laughs> it's not something you're going to run back to. Not really. Or if you're the kind of person, because many people have kind of, they're in a cycle of, uh, you know, where they respond to that kind of thing. And they might be the kind of person who actually is like, oh, I want to do that because he told me that I have to do it. Yeah. You know, and that would be even more dangerous for a body. Absolutely. Mm, And it's so so common. It's so common. And this kind of idea of impressing the teacher or, Mm -hmm. you know, doing, doing all the things and not resting and, I think, you know, at the beginning of every class, you're taught as a teacher to ask about injuries. So, Mm -hmm. you know, tick the box. I've asked about the injuries. But a lot of people don't want to talk about them. A lot of people have injuries that are way more complex than just putting up their hand and saying, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with my knee. A lot of people don't understand their injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of yoga teachers give advice where 
quite frankly, they're not qualified to say the things they say. And yeah. I think it's important to remember that you're not, unless you are a qualified physio or osteo or body worker, it's not up to you to then start prescribing um, a rehab sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I I do know what I know about the body and I will talk within that remit. So if somebody Mm -hmm. comes with an injury, particularly something that I've personally experienced, that's where I feel like I can really connect the most and give Mm -hmm. advice. But my advice to a lot of people is just to go and get it checked out and go and speak to somebody who knows more about the body than to kind of fumble along saying, oh, yeah, just don't do this pose. Because actually it's – I think a lot of injuries are more complex than just avoid doing a certain pose. It's a lot about, well, what do you do? Can we start to rehab by strengthening our areas? And and is yoga going to be the best rehabilitation for that injury? Because not all of the time it will be. It's got mm. this kind of reputation for if there's something wrong with you physically, do yoga, you'll be better. Mm. And it can be. It can be great for people who are sedentary, who basically it's a postural thing from being in a chair all day, then obviously yoga is going to do a lot of good mm. um, just to get moving and to kind of release tension in the areas that are compromised by being seated. But for for a lot of other things, yoga is not where I would go. Like people, especially people who are kind of recovering from surgery, like knee stuff, hip stuff, shoulder stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would def- definitely send them down a more kind of Pilates based route where mm-hmm. they can kind of work on getting strong. And mm-hmm. is it so exciting on Instagram? No, it's not. <laughs> it's Aww. not going to be like, you know, there's, there's not many Pilates exercises that look cool enough to be up on your feed, but mm-hmm they're probably going to be what's going to sustain your practice a lot more in the short term when you're trying to recover from something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it is keeping that keeping the practice sustainable. And that's the other thing. So both you and I now, we've been practicing for over two decades. And what we practice now is probably, well, for me, it's way different to what mm-hmm. I used to practice. And for you only recently, <laughs> it's a little bit different. <laughs> But it is also about, because um, the thing, I was talking to somebody about yoga injuries, and they were saying, oh, but I thought yoga is meant to be good for you. How can yoga cause injuries? And it's like, well, getting out of bed can cause an injury. <laughs> it's like, let's think about how it, how we're doing, and are we doing something that's appropriate for today, for today's body? Yeah. Um, well, the, yeah. the thing that makes me sad is how many injuries are obtained from teachers adjusting and it's Ooh. becoming more and more and more common. And and I've been on the receiving end of adjustments where, you know, I'm like, hang on a sec. This, I don't need to be further in this pose. And mm-hmm. some adjustments are good. Some adjustments are welcome. And some adjustments, you know, like having your hands on the hips and child's pose are just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Never stop doing this to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we must never adjust a, a student. But mm-hmm. I I see people, especially like when they're trying to bind, like catching the arms, you know, things where it's like, does it really matter if the hands are an inch away from one another or if the fingertips are touching and why are we forcing people's bodies into these shapes? I've been injured by a teacher. I had, um, I remember being in Badakanasana, so you're seated with the soles of the feet together and a teacher pushed down on my knees and damaged my piriformis. So, and oh. that that injury actually took me a long time to get over, mm-hmm. and and like I was like, what does it matter how far the knees are off the ground for a start in that pose? Like, it really 
to me is inconsequential it really makes no difference like some people quite easily have their knees on the ground other people mm-hmm. their knees are higher up towards their elbows doesn't matter but That's right. you know in in encouraging me to open up more they're just kind of forced down and and there you go the injury mm. happens and um yeah it's 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 a shame hearing like people who who go to certain teachers classes who are reputed to kind of over adjust and to kind of hurt their students because there's this idea that the full pose must be achieved we must go further we must help people go deeper but for me going deeper isn't about being able to do the pose better in inverted commas it's it's about you know what is the pose teaching you what are you learning and mm-hmm. being able to step back and be okay with not being in the full expression of the pose i think shows a lot more yoga than you know getting your leg behind your head mm-hmm. <laughs> and um that's mm-hmm. a, that's something actually that i've i've had adjustments in like my legs don't really want to go behind my head and i don't really care for them to be behind my head either to be honest <laughs> um have they gone there before yes is it always mm-hmm. with a couple of hours of strong practice and then a teacher guiding slash forcing them there yes um and then you know I, I grew out of that as well after a few years I was like you know what my my legs don't need to be behind my head that's okay <laughs> you know some people's hips do that my hips are very mobile in certain directions in that direction they don't want to that's okay um but yeah you know when when a teacher is now helping people do that I kind of feel like there are some things that if your body's not already going there mm. I don't really know how beneficial it is to to help someone get there and and we're wow. seeing now more and more the kind of long-term effects of people practicing yoga like this for for decades and there's right. a generation like my generation of yoga teachers now mm-hmm. and I'm curious to see what our bodies are going to be like in the next like now 5 years 10 years and to see what this extreme yoga is going to be doing to mm. us um well yeah i mean i i have a very more than niggly suspicion that you know i i did used to practice for a good couple of hours and i used to sort of go to way to the limits of my mobility mm. in my practice in um the hip opening especially and i don't think that that was great you know mm. i just uh, my hips now they, they don't feel great for it. And my sacroiliac joint isn't stable. And that's also, you know, these are things which I think are from too much mobility yeah. over an extended period of time mm-hmm. in yoga. And I think there is a thing that actually often yoga isn't helpful for us. Yeah. But we're told that yoga is healthy, so it has to be. Um, yeah. It's a and thing, also... It is a shame, but also we have to look at what we're copying. We're copying a um, series of movements that was designed for young Indian men whose mm-hmm. hip mobility is naturally very, very different than if you're not a young Indian man. So mm-hmm. from the way that they are posturally to just their genetics and, mm-hmm. you know, some of us will get away with it for a while, but it's it's not for everyone and the long-term effects of it um, yeah. really aren't great and there are people who are you know a couple of decades into their practice and who did have that kind of practice 
mm-hmm. who are going through surgeries and things like yeah. that, aren't Yeah, and that's quite shocking now. We're just kind of seeing, like, I, I could count on two hands the number of yoga teachers I know who have had hip replacements and... Mm. Um, you know, is that down to genetics, perhaps? Has the yoga had an impact on it? Absolutely. I think um, just repeating. Yeah, it's very repetitive and very forceful with a yeah. with an emphasis on mobility above anything else, right? Yeah. So if we'd Absolutely. been doing strength work, because, again, back <laughs> in the day, there wasn't any talk about strength work, was there? It no. was like, you know, your yoga practice is your health and fitness practice. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, you know, I say, like I do for myself, I, this morning I went out for a good old hill walk, get it out mm-hmm. of me, and then and, and and then I can get on the mat, you know, in a sort of calmer state. But right. I don't take it out on my yoga kind of thing yeah. anymore. But I used to. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen that as well. And I think for me, like, the, the yoga poses are they're tools and you can use them in a really intelligent way that's going to help your body and it's going to be very nurturing and very you know healing and beneficial or you can use them as something to really punish yourself with (laughs) and you can torture yourself with these tools and um it's it's just one of those things just kind of also having these tools but knowing to adapt them for how your body's feeling on that day because we've all got those days where we feel like super open every pose feels good you float out of your class being like oh my god yoga was amazing this is amazing I love it I'm going to do it every day Mm -hmm. and then you have those other practices where you just reach your arms up over your head for the first time and you're like oh my god this is gonna be hard (laughs) and it doesn't really change you kind of feel heavy everything hurts and Mm -hmm. you know our bodies don't need the same thing every day and mm. uh, and nor do our minds it really mm. we need to that that i think is one of the difficulties in practicing something as rigid as ashtanga is that you know sometimes the ashtanga method is great is exactly what you need you have to kind of that you have the sequence you know what it is you know what's coming you know what's next um but other days you you i certainly don't practice ashtanga every day or every month anymore um it's just kind of knowing what your body needs and kind of trying to meet those needs without the ego kind of interfering saying oh but what if you just did a harder class or you know what if you worked on your splits today yeah I think also that can be the trouble with I mean just practically I'm thinking I used to go to a London studio to the 730 class Mm-hmm. because that was the class I could make every day. It was always right. 7.30 p.m. And it kind of didn't matter when the teacher was teaching at 7.30, I'd always be there. <laughs> right. And that's, and not, I mean, now there are obviously many more classes, but I think that can be the problem with, you know, we're all busy people, people who work yeah. sort of nine to five and you're available at 7.30 or whatever, and that is your time. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you just, teach what that teacher is happens to feel like teaching on that day maybe it isn't what your body feels like and that can be that can be where an online yoga practice is a good thing because if you get to the habit of checking in with yourself bigger if you really really are able to ask in yourself what do I need right now then it's a Mm. useful tool 
Yeah, I agree. And I think um, it's not realistic to kind of expect somebody to just self-practice and to know what they're going to do and how to how to move and whether it should be gentle, whether it should be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, I think self-practice is a real discipline that takes a long, long time to learn. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, having online stuff is, is so good. And it's something that I've really appreciated because obviously having the pregnancy not being able to go to classes um and I did use movement for modern life I did a couple of the pregnancy yoga classes I did some of the yin classes this was earlier on before I got banned from all of this movement but um and I was really grateful for it especially because I was abroad at the time as well I was in a different country I was a different time zone and um you know for me having that kind of luxury of all of these kind of different styles Mm. and teachers just there and I was like okay I've really got time to kind of think of what my body needs and there's all of this stuff there ready when I'm ready Mm -hmm. to cater for it and that was really great yeah and I yeah but I think it also goes along with I I think it's knowing yourself to have that balancing act like you know that sometimes the trouble with online is you go to you know what's comfortable and you're not going to put yourself in the way that a teacher who knows you is able to yeah. So I think that's the nice thing about going to a regular teacher is that they're somebody able to say, okay, now back off and now mm-hmm. push. Um, and I think that's, especially if you are going to be doing as well, the poses where, you know, you're going to fall over at home yeah. and <laughs> your furniture and, <laughs> and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, it's it's <laughs> nice to get corrected as well when, well, yeah, you know, exactly. you're doing something and you're not sure what it is and and you know sometimes yeah. you you get these little corrections and it's a tiny thing and suddenly you're like oh yeah that makes such a difference and you know different exactly yeah. yeah because when you do things at home you can really kind of get get into your own groove and then you go and you're, yeah. you're like oh wow that's different when you're corrected <laughs> yeah the combat it's like everything moderation yeah. is always the answer it's like Absolutely. a bit of everything um yeah but i think uh, it's great that now I feel yoga is more popular now, which is really lovely. But mm-hmm. also it's great that people, I think, are more aware of the need for strength and the need to prioritise mobility slightly less. Yeah. And it's good that we are having that conversation more and more. Yeah, um, I agree. And um, I know that we've got you booked in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you literally only just had a baby. And you're like, come on, back to the <laughs> <laughs> And your next sequence is going to be on strength training. So yeah. strength. Because, again, I think for, you know, I'm going to speak for myself, I'm getting older. And uh, we lose our strength so easily mm-hmm. when we're older, especially women who lose our bone density as well. And yep. we just need that sometimes. So thank you in Definitely. advance. Oh, my pleasure. On strength. Well, hopefully I'll be able to rebuild back a bit of my own strength before I shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was also going to ask, what are your, what are you currently doing? What, what are your movements right now for how you're going into sort of your rehab program? Um. I mean, it's pretty minimal at the moment, to be honest. Um, it's things like planks. It's mm-hmm. things like basic Pilates, core work. And I did do a couple of handstand classes. And, yeah, it's just it's interesting to see the loss of strength and coordination mm-hmm. and just 
I, I guess for me, it's trying to reconnect to movement patterns that for me were so familiar and so easy. And it's all, it's mainly abdominal, to be honest. Um, yeah. I'm feeling my rib cage is slowly starting to come back together after the baby. Um, yeah. But, you know, there was a lot of not being able to engage it. So just holding planks and trying to mm. make the right shape and stuff. So it's all basic stuff. Not It's not very Instagrammable. <laughs> Nothing fancy, but I think there's... Um, if everyone held a plank every day, that would be a good thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of your time constraints, and also you do have a tiny, tiny 10-week-old to Literally attend wants to. wants feeding. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much. Now, where oh. can people find you when they want to follow you? Obviously, you're on Movement for Modern Life. I How else can connect with you, Sylvia? Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Sylvia's right. Yoga, and um, yoga. yeah, but I will always reply to comments on all my Movement for Modern Life posts. Bear with me no, at the right. moment; I'm not online a huge amount, but I do always get back to you. So if there's any any comments or questions, then then pop one on there as well. Amazing! And also, if people have requests for uh, your strengthening series, oh, yeah. do um, do. Tell us, tell us what you want. Always happy. Requests of right. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for your time. I'll let you get back to little Isla. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, you too. All right, take care. I really hope you enjoyed that session with Sylvia Garcia as much as I did. I must say, I found the conversations about reducing mobility as a goal a really important conversation that as yogis as people who are practicing regularly we should really think seriously about and think seriously about the issues that have happened to us sort of old timers people who you know in the past we didn't have that awareness and And you guys need to learn from us. And uh, I think that's a really important thing. And the other big takeaway I had from that was the thoughts on Instagram yogis. So if you are an Instagrammer, an Instagram scroller, just sort of thinking a little bit about what that actually means for the yoga teacher um, to be doing those poses and what the realities of being there, being the um, person making the amazing pose would be. So I think that's there's lots and lots of food for thought and maybe um, join in a conversation about finding new, different, creative, braver ways of presenting our practice um, on Instagram and social media. I'd love to be part of that conversation. I know Sylvia would too. Um, Anyway, thank you very, very much for sticking with us and for supporting us. I really appreciate that. Please do go on to Movement for Modern Life and check out Sylvia's videos. I think that she's got about 70 videos up there now. So she's got the 30-day handstand challenge, which is amazing. (laughs) And she also has her crow challenge, seven-day Bakasana crow challenge. Um... And she has got some fabulous strengthening classes there already. Um, Her glutes workout is phenomenal and is an absolute must if you, like me, 
um, as somebody who, you know, sit at home uh, on your computer or you just sit on your computer too much. It, it really, you know, we have chronically weakened glutes, a lot of us, and that leads to a lot of back issues. And then especially if we're doing our mobility stuff and not the strength, therein lies our problem. So do check out her workouts. And as I say, she's also about to film a new strengthening sequence, which I'm really, really looking forward to. So you can check that one out. And also she was saying about going through the transitions and going through vinyasa very carefully. She does have some really cool vinyasa classes on on Movement for Modern Life, which are going through the transitions very carefully and slowly. So do check those out too. So you just go to movementformodernlife.com. You can go to our teachers and scroll down and find Sylvia. And obviously there'll be links in the show notes too. So I really hope you enjoyed that. Please do, do, do write us a lovely review on iTunes and then other people will be able to find us. Brilliant. All right, guys, I'm going to sign off now. Till next time. <laughs>